Now, I was told this morning, I guess, speak slower with a little drawl. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work. I, I don't know. Yankees don't learn so quickly. <laughs> um, if you thanks Oliver for reading that in Acts chapter one. If you didn't catch the verses, it's Acts one, one and two, and verses six through nine. <clears throat> two Sundays ago was Easter, wasn't it? <clears throat> I guess more. Two Sundays ago was was Easter. Last Sunday, Pastor Jomi had a great message on the resurrection and the witnesses of that re- that resurrection. Uh, today, I'd like to take go to the next step in the chronological order of things and look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. The ascension of Jesus Christ. When Jesus ascended, this was an incredible thing. And I think that as I was studying this and I was thinking about it, I was thinking we very often underestimate the importance of the ascension. And what is the ascension of Jesus Christ? How does that apply or impact our daily lives? How does that change our Monday? When I was looking at this, I noticed three things, three empty things, three things that we see that were left empty by Jesus Christ. The first empty thing was the cross. Jesus came, what died on the cross, but didn't stay there. We look at the cross when we worship. The symbol or the logo, if we could say, of Christianity is the cross. And when we look at that cross, it's empty. And that tells us something very important. The second empty thing is an empty tomb. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Um, The tomb is empty. And then there's one one third thing that is empty that maybe we don't think of often. But as I was reading these verses and studying these verses that Oliver just read for us, It occurred to me that there's an empty hillside. There's an empty hillside that we just read about here. The path of the gospel can be seen really in what is empty, what has been left empty. As we stop there, but if we stop there, and we stop and we just only talk about empty things, then we are going to become entangled in spiritual agnosticism. What is a spiritual, what is spiritual agnosticism? You know, uh, in church, I want us to think the word agnosticism or agnostic is a word that we hear people throw around, and they often don't really understand what that really means. Agnostic or agnosis is actually two words in the Greek. A, which means no, and gnostic or is the word that we get that, that comes from gnosis or to know. And what it means here is, is that it's unable to be known, unknown. So what does agnostic mean? What does agnostic mean? Speak to speak to me. Unknown means act unknown, right? Unknown. Something that is not known. And I think that when we look at if people stop at an empty cross, an empty tomb, and an empty hillside, then the conclusion they come to is that God is God is missing in action. God is not here. God is not engaged. And this is where most of the world is today. This is where most of the world is today. When you talk to people, when we look at when we watch the news, when we read about what's happening in the world, <clears throat> we come to this, we come to very, we can very easily come to this conclusion, where is God in all of this? Where is God? And where is, where is this justice? The gospel of grace that is changing people's lives today is not focused on what is lacking. It's 
not what is lacking, but it's what's present in our life. You know, when Mary was praying today during the worship, she said something that really ministered to me, that, that the place of worship, that place, that throne room in our soul uh, that is reserved for worship to God and his kingship and his lordship is not worthy for anything else. That is so beautiful because if we look at the empty places in the soul, they, they are the purpose of those empty places are to be filled with the presence and the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me get into this here. Agnosticism or agnostics believe that there is a being, right? When someone says I'm an agnostic or when someone says I'm an atheist, what they're really saying, nine times out of ten, I think, because we used to live in Europe for about ten years, we met a lot of people that said to us, I'm an atheist. I'm, an, I'm a European atheist. When you talk to them, you find out they're not really atheists, they're more agnostics. Meaning that they believe that there's something there, but they don't know what it is or who it is. 90% or 99% of people today fall into that category of agnostics. They believe that there's a being, that there's something supreme out there. They see that there's order in creation. There, They see that there are laws that are in many ways supernatural, but they do not know who is behind it. They don't know who it is behind it. The society that we live in today is a society that's based on agnosticism. It's based on what is empty and what is not there. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did he, he rose from the dead physically. He rose from the dead. He didn't rise like Casper the ghost, rising out of his body, leaving his body behind. His Spirit, soul, and body rose together. It was a total resurrection. And when he rose, he ate and drank with his disciples. Remember that? Afterwards in John 20 and 21, he sits down and he's eating with his disciples. He's eating, <clears throat> he's eating fish. He's drinking water. <clears throat> and when he ascended into the throne room of God, and picture this, I was just imagining this this morning. When Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God and fully man, rose from the dead, <clears throat> he went into the throne room of God. He rose. He, he ascended off the hill in Acts chapter two, Acts chapter one. Here, right? He ascends into the heavenlies. He comes into the throne room, and for the first time in heaven, in the glory of God, in the in the in the presence of these incredible angels and beings that we read about in the Book of Revelation. He comes into there, and for the first time, there's something new in heaven. Something that was not there before. Okay? It was, a, it was um, something that had never, ever been there before. And that is a glorified, perfect human being. Isn't that amazing? For the first time, Jesus, as he walks into the throne room after his resurrection and ascension, he comes into the throne room and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and there's a glorified man in the throne room. That is incredible. <clears throat> you know, if you look at, if you've watched, and here's what people are looking for. You know, people living in an agnostic society understand, and our soul is built in such a way that we are, that we will worship something, either God or something else. We are always going to be trying to fill the void with something. And that void, that if we fill that void with anything else other than the personhood and the grace and the life of Christ, we're going to be left empty. Because when it, when it dissipates, the, the void will be larger and greater and we'll be more and more disappointed. There was a movie years ago, and it was 
Indiana Jones movie, I think it was called The Last Crusade. And I just, I remember watching it, and there's two parties in that movie. There's, there's Indiana Jones and his party, and then there is the Nazis that are chasing down. They're both trying to find this place um, with an agenda. One Indiana Jones's group has something that they have to return to this temple. Uh, and this Nazi group, this woman that was leading this Nazi group, they're trying to find all power and, and supreme wisdom. And as they're racing through the movie to get through this, through their adventures and through their escapades, they get there, and it's really interesting to see how the movie ends, is that they discover that there are these supreme beings that are not human, but they are in some way made out of crystal. And they have all this knowledge and all this wisdom and power and, and high technology that goes way beyond man. And the movie ends with the sense that, that man, we as a creation, are subpar to that. That actually these beings, these supreme beings, these, this wisdom that they were looking for actually is alien. And not only is it alien, but it is demonic. And not only is it demonic, it is destructive to, human, to humanity. We discover that these beings are not benevolent, that they are not good, but they are angry, hostile, and destructive beings. When we look at Jesus Christ, the one who ascended from that hill 2,000 years ago, we don't see an alien. We don't see a ghost. We don't see a crystal being. We see a man, don't we? We see a man that was resurrected, that suffered like us, that was hungry like us. He was without sin. Not that we are called to live without sin, but he was without sin because he was fulfilling the law of God so that we could be under a new law, which is a law of grace and mercy. And you know something? When Jesus rose, when Jesus rose, a question was left behind. And think of the scene as Jesus is, as, as Oliver was reading this, Jesus is, is ascending into heaven and the, the, all the disciples and the apostles are watching as Jesus goes up into the clouds. And you can imagine the scene, they're all just staring into the clouds. They're just kind of standing there for a few minutes like, now what? <laughs> what do we do? And an angel comes and says, why do you stand, why do you stand here staring into the heavenlies? Because just as Jesus has, come, has ascended into the clouds, he will come back in victory. Starting Wednesday nights, starting this Wednesday night, we're going to do a series on what the Bible says from the book of Revelation about the last days. I know that there's a lot of crazy teaching out there, but we are going to go through eight classes or seven classes. I'm going to teach very specifically about what the Bible says about these last days and how we are to live in the last days. Because I think we can get so wrapped up, people can, Christians can get so wrapped up in, the, in last days um, sensational um, speculation that they forget what their purpose is as a Christian in this world. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how Jesus returns and what does that mean. But as they're looking, they're going, they're seeing Jesus go up. An angel says to them, <clears throat> as Jesus has ascended, he will return. And there's this sense at this moment <clears throat> that, that there's something missing, that somebody, something has been left absent. And I just want to give you four things about this, that the agnostic society that we live in, the society that's living that is being basically driven by a void, basically driven by a sense of insufficiency, creating a system of achievement and a system of performance that nobody can keep up with. <coughs> society is left as an agnostic society, and it's causing people, it's causing people, and action can cause us to frantically search 
for the enduring presence of true love, of true kindness, and the satisfaction of true companionship. This kind of void has created a society that is now searching for these things through dating apps, through social media, and through an erotic lifestyle. Why is it important that Jesus ascended? Why is it important that Jesus has ascended? Why is that important to us today? Why was it important that he left all of these places empty and void of his presence? There are four reasons. Number one, <clears throat> when Jesus ascended and sat down at the Father's right hand, the Father verified the accomplishment of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Meaning that the final payment for sin was made, Hebrews 10, chapter, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. When Jesus ascended, it was a completion, it was a sitting down of an accomplished work. Today, the work is finished for you and I. We are not called to try to fill in something that Jesus was not able to do. Today, the work is finished. You and I today are complete in Jesus Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are complete as a mother. You are complete as a husband. You, are, you have everything, you and I have everything that we need to live this life. We are complete in Him. Number two, when Jesus ascended, the intercessory prayer work of Jesus on behalf of His people began. Jesus began to pray. Jesus began to pray. Jesus is the unique mediator between God and man. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. That is why in Christianity, in the Christian church, we do not have priests that we go and confess our sins to. Because the Bible does not support that. 1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and other verses tell us that we confess our sins to Jesus Christ alone. He is our mediator. He is praying for us. Remember when we see an inkling of this when, when uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, the devil has come to us, has come to the throne of God, and he's petitioned that he might sift you, that he might cause so many trials in your life that you would deny Christ, that you would deny God, that you would lose your faith. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? I would have liked to have heard Jesus say, but you know something? I'm not going to let him do that. I got your back, Peter, and uh, he's not going to be successful. It's going to all be good for you, Peter. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. And I think if I was in that situation, I'd be like, wow, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but can you do something else? Maybe in your all power and your sovereign will, you could actually prevent all of this stuff to happen to me. Maybe you could stop all of the pain and all of the, all the suffering and all the bloodshed. Jesus says, I'll pray for you. What is he saying? In effect, he's saying that my prayers, Jesus is saying as our high priest, who has ascended into the heavenlies, to a position of power, he says that my prayers for you are going to be more powerful <clears throat> and more effective than if I change the plan. Isn't that awesome? His prayer is more powerful. Why? Because, and I want to talk about this at some point down the road about suffering. Because the goal in our life as a Christian and the goal in prayer is not that we would suffer less. Because life happens to people no matter who you are, whether good, bad, or whatever. But you know something? The purpose is, is that in life, in suffering, in pain, in suffering, in all the questions, remember the questions that we talked about two weeks ago, as the apostles are trying to figure out where is Jesus, what is it? It's that we would meet the fourth man in the fire, right? That we would meet Jesus. Now, 
in the situation. I know that some of you in the room here have been really going through some very challenging times. And we've been going through them with you in prayer. And, and some of us are just seeing God answer some prayers. And you know what's been really amazing? And my wife and I just experienced when we were over there. When you get a text message or when you get someone that calls you and says, I'm praying for you. I know for you, but for me, that just means so much. Doesn't it? To know that somebody is interceding for you in prayer. The prayer of Jesus Christ is more effective for you and I today as he prays for us in John chapter 17. The prayer of the, of the Savior, of our mediator, is more effective than if he had changed the plan for us. Let me ask you, do you think that God would hear the prayers of his son? Yes. Is God going to answer Jesus' prayers? Yes, of course. Number three, after the resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you, have, until you are clothed with power from on high. Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus ascended, and when he ascended, in Acts 2, verse 33, he sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to ascend to send the Holy Spirit. He says this to Mary. He says this to his disciples in John 21. I'm leaving, and the disciples have a, have a separation anxiety attack. And that is real. Um, my dog has that. <laughs> it is when we when we when when you're at a funeral, if you've been to a funeral, it is real when you say goodbye. There is that anxiety of separation. But you know something? Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. Amen. Amen. You can talk back a little bit, it's okay. It, he doesn't leave us comfortless. He doesn't. You know something? We can go through anything just as long as we know that Jesus is present, that he is with us, and that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He says, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send you in John 14 a spirit, a comforter, who will speak to you the deepest part of you, a part of you that is deeper than you are, you are to yourself. Jesus had to ascend so he could send his spirit. And number four, when Jesus ascended, his eternal reign over his enemies began. As Peter wrote, now that he has gone to heaven, he is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. In 1 Peter 3, verse 22. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in, in, in Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 22. And I don't mean to be throwing verses around here to confuse everybody. I'm just saying that it says this in the Bible. It's not my opinion. It's not something that I've concocted or read somewhere else. It's from the Bible, so you can understand and you can trust what's being said here, is that, is that when Jesus ascended, he put all of his enemies under his feet. That means that when he's in heaven, that he is in a position of power, and he will return to execute judgment on those who are, have been taken advantage and victimized. But I still haven't answered the question here about addressing the agnostic void. I think technology today, with the increase of wisdom, and I like technology, I used to be in the IT, in the IT field. I think it's pretty cool what we can do with machines. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cool for us because we can control it all. It's because it's a sense of control until somebody hacks it. <laughs> that we're out of control. And we find our information all over the dark web, right? We haven't answered the question about addressing the agnostic void. How does someone, I want to I finish with this. How do you and I in this room, Monday morning, experience the presence of Jesus Christ? How do we experience the fullness of God 
in the void of our daily life when we're cooking breakfast or making or getting our kids out the door to school. Recently, I watched an animal documentary. How many of you guys like watching these animal documentaries? I like it. I think it's pretty cool. I don't like to see lions eating zebras, um, but I think Wes does. But uh, I think this is cool to see, you know, my wife and I, when we sit down, you know, we rarely do this, but when we're going to watch something, we're going to watch, we're going to watch like these funny stories about animals and the funny things that they do and the animal kingdom. And, you know, it's just amazing to me how this works. And, and I was watching something recently, and it was about how an eagle killed a snake. And I said, I want to see how this works. And so the eagle is approaching this snake. I mean, the eagle's there. Um, a snake is approaching, and it's that scene. I don't know how they do it with the cameras, but it kind of looks like the way they're filming it, that the eagle's going to get bit by the snake, and the eagle doesn't know what's coming. And it's a snake. I don't know what kind of snake it is, but it was poisonous, had big fangs, and didn't look like a good snake. It's coming at the eagle. Eagle turns around. What does the eagle do? Eagle grabs the snake with its talons and takes off into the air. It grasps it and flies into the air. What is he doing? He's effectively changing the battleground. And then he releases And when he gets high enough, when he gets very, very high, the eagle is one of the birds, the only birds that can fly at such a great height, drops the snake. Because the snake on the ground, that is his battleground. That's his place of advantage. This is his place of strength. This is the place where uh, he is controlling the scene. He is controlling him. When he's in the air, the snake is not built in such a way that it has no stamina. It has no power and no balance in the air. It has no balance whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the snake and the talents of the eagle is useless, weak, and vulnerable. The believer, you and I as Christians, are likened often in the Bible to eagles, aren't we? We are likened to a bird that has the tactical advantage in the air. And this is the answer to the question. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I think the verses will be up there. These verses tell us the answer to how do we live in a society that is devoid of the presence of God? And how do we live when we wake up in the morning and we struggle with depression or when we struggle with temptation or fear, when we sense that emptiness inside of us and we're tempted to fill the void with something else that the world is offering to us, medication, drugs, relationships, material, whatever it is, whatever the vice of that person is. Three things. How do we feel void? Number one, when Jesus ascended, we too, in a sense, ascended with him because we are associated with Christ in him. When Jesus ascended, we ascended with him. Because why? We're associated with him. We are in Christ, it says in the book of Ephesians many, many times. And you and I, you know, when, and this is like, somebody says, well, this, what does that mean to be in Christ? Have you ever said, heard someone say, I'm in trouble? Or I'm in a situation that I can't get out of? Or I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in a tragic, I'm in a relationship, or I'm in some toxic situation. This is exactly what this means. I'm in Christ. Are we in trouble today? Are we in our situation? Or are we, are we in Christ? Are we in the sphere of Jesus Christ? When Jesus ascended, we ascended with him. We were seated with him. This is number two. When Jesus was seated on the throne, we were seated with him. Amen? In Ephesians 2, 6 and chapter, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We are seated with him. We are seated with him. 
Paul calls it the heavenly places. We are seated with him. I remember meeting one time, a man, I didn't know who he was. We were in a train going across Ukraine, my wife and I. Just a simple guy. Looked like a simple man. Just really wasn't very impressive to us. We were sitting in the train. And as we got talking with him, we discovered that this guy was an ambassador. And he was on this train because he couldn't get a flight. And he had to, he had to cross what a man, what looked like a very non-impressive person was actually somebody that had a lot of authority and could say something and could change the course of a government's policy. We are like that. You and I are like, we are seated with Christ. Not a lot to look at. We're not very impressive to look at. We are seated with Christ. But when we speak, when we pray, God is listening and things are starting to happen. And number three, and this is the, the main point, and if there's one thing that you can remember from this message, I want you to remember this. In Ephesians 2, verse 7, when we choose to show someone grace and kindness, which is the gospel, something that they don't deserve or something that they could ever, that they could never ever qualify for or achieve, such as your forgiveness. You know something? How often are we asking people to qualify for our forgiveness? How often are we asking people to qualify for our our, our word I'm trying to think of in another language here. Uh, I'll qualify for our goodness or our kindness or our charity. Um, grace means that people don't have to qualify for that. It means that, that grace in itself wants to bless people. When we choose to show someone this kind of grace or kindness that they could never deserve or they could never achieve or qualify for, for, the, for example, help, love, or service, we become like the eagle and we take the battle from the disadvantage of the ground, that toxic environment that we might be living in or working in, and we ascend our position with Christ into the air. We take the high road, right? We take the battle from the ground, from the dusty earth, from the muddy and the dirt and the grime, and, and we take it into the air where we are with Christ in the heavenlies. And we are bringing the man Jesus who left the cross empty, who left the tomb empty, left the hill empty, we are bringing an unknown God into a situation where people can see Jesus face to face. When you show grace and when you show the love of God unconditionally, when you love someone in a way that they could never deserve, guess what's happening? They are meeting God face to face. They are meeting the person of Jesus Christ face to face. And this is where Christianity becomes, this is where the rubber meets the road in our Christianity. When we, when we are revealing something that we freely have received, we can freely give it. And at that point, it is no longer who is God and where is God. We can say, God is right here, and I can see him in your face and in your actions. There, there are people in our lives, every one of us in this room, can think of someone that we know or more than one person that could never, ever deserve anything good from us because of the way they've acted or the way they've spoken to us. There are people in our lives. And you know why God has put those people in our lives? We say, God, if you could just eradicate all of these weird, toxic people, it would be such a great life of blessing. No, God puts people in our lives like this so that, so that we can reveal an invisible God in a visible way to them through the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God. And therefore, people are no longer living in a sense of agnostic. Who is God and where is God and can he even be known? We are beginning to reveal to him something, to them, something that is invisible in a very real and powerful way.
Got it? Is that clear? That's just the point I want to make this morning. And that's, that's all I have to say. Amen? Amen? So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God. That we can take an invisible God, we can take an invisible man, and make him visible to a world that we could say, like Jonah went to Nineveh, I don't want to be in this situation. I want to run away. I don't want to, I don't want to get my hands dirty. And we can reveal Christ. We can reveal his gospel. We can reveal the love and the nature of God to people. Because Jesus ascended and we ascended with him. We are in heavenly places. We're not in trouble. We are not in our situation. We are not in dire needs. Though we may be, we are in Christ. And we're in his care. And we are in a position of authority in our lives to bless. And that's what true authority is. The power and the authority to bless someone else unconditionally. Lord, we just pray for each person that's in this room, each family that's represented. We know people are facing troubles. We know that people are facing questions, difficulties, maybe painful things that people are facing in this room. Maybe in our own personal lives, we're failing our own expectations. Maybe we are, maybe we're at, we have questions that God has not answered for years. I just want to say that God, the God, God is the God who is here. He answers. When we want to look for answers, we can just look next to us. We can look at people around us and see the, the, the embodiment of Jesus Christ. That's why we call the body of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would use us, Lord, that we could be used and that we could speak to people in our workplaces, that we could be ambassadors and missionaries to our workplaces, to our, our neighbors, Lord, that our neighbors, that we could... Uh, every neighbor around us has things going on in our life that, that, that instead of us getting perturbed about our neighbors, Lord, that we could just pour into something that pour them pour into pour something into them that they could see Christ. And where we pray. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you say I'm an agnostic. Maybe I don't know. And please don't think that. Sometimes when I preach, people say, oh, you know, did somebody talk to you about this? I don't know what's happening in your life. I have no idea. But if you are one of these types of people that says I'm an agnostic, or maybe I'm a Christian and I'm just living in a sense of agnosticism towards the situation. I don't know where God is. If you're not saved here today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, ask him today. He's knocking on the door of your heart to say, dear Jesus, I believe on you today. As a free will agent, I make this decision put my trust in you, and I don't know exactly what that all means, but as a, as a self-determining, as, as an individual making decisions, I'm putting my, choosing to put my trust in you today. I'm asking you to come into my life. I can't live it, I can't change it, but I'm asking you to do it. And that's a prayer that, that God will answer. If you're doing that today, this is the first day of an amazing life. Lord, bless those that are traveling, that are on the road, that couldn't be here with us this morning. Bless our week that's before us. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing one last song.